I hope you're sitting uncomfortably, be it on your sofa, armchair, or beanbag if that's how you choose to live your life. I'm Steve, podcaster. You know, everyone has a special talent. Mine is being able to write, produce, direct, act, and paint. Other people are good plumbers. That's their gift. Joining me this week, Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. (laughs) Nothing to add to that? No, I, I mean... Good that you went to the effort to uh, transcribe some stuff. I'm impressed. By transcribe, do you mean copy and paste from WikiQuote and change the name Garth Marenghi to Steve? Well, I guess you added in podcast as well somewhere. Yeah, that's true. There's there's a couple a couple of little uh, flourishes I added there. That's how that's how you make original content, baby. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, uh, in the true Marenghi spirit, perhaps. <laughs> also joining us this week, Jake. Cool it, Myro, so you'll get a knuckle supper. <laughs> Thank you. Someone is in the spirit of what we're trying to do here. Uh, Jack Eason is also here. Yes, I am. And I just want everyone to know, we, we refer to Adam Myro as Dreamweaver all the time. Mm-hmm. Plus Constantly. actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good that you're here, Jack, because we need, we need that European perspective that you provide for us. You got the BBC4 inside track. <laughs> that's definitely an accurate and true statement that people will realize as they listen to this is the case <laughs> how many bbcs are there like does it go God, beyond I, four or is we four didn't the- have them where i like i didn't even grow up with a bbc because my parents would never get satellite tv or whatever you had to live up north to get bbc natively so you know no i got no bbc inside track whatsoever and at least, there's at least five <laughs> of them now what what do you have? What did you have in Ireland then? What like, what what do you, you yeah, no, do? Yeah, the, the native Irish, the domestic <laughs> Irish channels are what are, are RT one and and Network two for most of my childhood. That was it. It was two of them, and then we got two more. We got TG Cacker, which was the the Irish, which is TG four, which is which is the Irish language channel, which was the best channel because they just filled in. They were they didn't have money to make a lot of Irish language programming. They made a bit, uh, so they had to fill in the rest of it with like weird. Danish soap operas and French sitcoms and kung fu movies. And it was the best fucking channel I've ever seen in my life. It was amazing. We didn't know <laughs> how blessed we were. Like French sitcoms are just like just naked people uh, just in the sitcom. Like imagine just friends, but everyone gets naked all the time. Amazing content. And uh, yeah, kung- I, in fact, just recently, like earlier this week, I watched uh, Skinny Tiger and Fatty Dragon. Uh, old Samu Hong kung fu movie. The first time I ever saw that was on TG Carr because they just got in kung fu movies. Why wouldn't they? And then there's also the last one was TV3, which was like a Canadian-owned like venture for a new channel, and they were pretty boring. But they tried to do softcore at some point. I think people were like, "No, stop doing that! Like you're not allowed to do that late at night." That's where I first saw Bolero, actually. So this is really coming back. Um, that that's who you have to blame for that podcast episode so sorry guys um so i can i can actually blame just just ireland in general ireland for, in for general Bolero. yeah well no, to be fair ireland said like kind of stop this uh, i feel like maybe they didn't reject softcore they just rejected bolero specifically which is fair that's an absolutely reasonable thing to do 
I, I would say, yeah, just across the board, everyone should reject Bolero 110% every facet of your life. It's the only rule I live by. God, <laughs> I wish we lived in simpler times where I just got four channels and one of them was like French David Schwimmer with his dick out. But, you know, I <laughs> guess you can dream. Anyways, we, we're not here to talk about French David Schwimmer with his dick out. We're actually talking about Matthew Holness, who... I wasn't that familiar with until Myros is like, I've been watching a lot of Matthew Holness. We should probably do a podcast on it. Man, I, like, I should probably take that? great well, offense that, to this. That's an incredible impersonation. I, I, I feel like I've been assaulted. Here. I thought Adam just talked over Steve there. Yeah, or was it Steve talking over Adam? You don't know. <laughs> uh, so wait, why do you take great offense to this, Myros? I, I, it sounds like you're jamming a sausage down your throat or something. As if I, don't know, just... <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's just maybe that, that's not how you actually sound. That's just like how you sound in my mind. I feel like well, that's the that's, essence that's of who great. you are. As, as a fat man, I I feel great that I, I just sound like I'm perpetually shoveling <laughs> shit into my mouth. <laughs> Is that a? Did I give you a fat guy voice? Is that? It, it had kind of a fat guy vibe. I gotta say. <laughs> so is so the way that you you distinguish between a, a fat guy voice and a non-fat guy voice is is by how much food it sounds like the speaker has in their mouth at any given time uh yeah yeah i i think that's uh that's fair okay all right this is good i'm i'm learning i'm learning that's what matters so anyways i just miss a few weeks and now things really I, i'm just like fucking getting attacked on air so, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I've I've known you for for how many years? Like 18 years now. At this point, I've spent every day of my life for the past 18 years attacking you. If my attacks <laughs> were a child, they would be adults. Um. <laughs> anyways, Matthew, hold us. How did how did we get to this point, Virus? What's going on? I don't know. That's a good question. I was uh, you know just looking for some escapism, and uh, I popped on Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and I was like, God damn. This is still amazing. Whatever happened to this guy? And uh, the question is, or the answer is, I, I really still don't know. It's it's kind of strange because this is there's like a really fruitful thing that was happening in British comedy at this time, uh, and a lot of that in my mind has to do with with wholeness and uh, Richard Iwadi, and uh, they both kind of went on to make some interesting stuff after their their time with the BBC, and then. You, you really haven't heard anything from either of them for about almost a decade now. And it's like, what happened to these guys? They're fucking incredible. And, uh, yeah, it just got me thinking that, uh, I'd go back through and watch some of his short films cause they are excellent and, uh, get around to the feature that he directed. Yeah. This, uh, it's kind of interesting because I mean, wholeness is, he's probably the, the least well-known of, of this group, but, uh, Garth Marenghi's, dark plays before it got its one season six episode bbc run it actually started off as like a stage show that he did uh two years in a row at the fringe festival in edinburgh and when he was doing that he at the time he was doing comedy with uh, uh richard iote and um oh geez john oliver and a couple other people so like you know pretty pretty significant people here and it's interesting because uh, Iowati, he went on to do like, you know, IT crowd and all that stuff. And, uh, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he did 
the show Travel Man for a while. Did, did you ever watch that? I don't know if you've. It's it's actually it's pretty good. It's it's kind of like if you took your typical like PBS travel log show, but you inserted him and he just seemed like he didn't want to be wherever he was at any given point. <laughs> so it's like hyper cynical travel show. <laughs> I was actually watching a little bit of that after I watched uh, Dark Place, which is on Prime. And there's also another show called Gadget Man, where Richard Iowati explores some of the greatest gadgets that can help make our lives better. Like in the first episode, he goes camping, but he's just equipped with all of these uh, items that make camping seem less like camping, and just more that he's got this great house outdoors. So it's really fun. Yeah, yeah you got to wonder, great. like maybe that. I mean, well, spoiler: we might get into uh, Richard Iwati, uh a little more in depth uh, going forward here, so uh, we won't dwell on him too much. But uh, you wonder that wholeness. I get the sense that he's not that into acting because uh, I it, it seems like what he's done in recent years is very much sort of stuff that he is personally interested in doing behind the camera and writing and X, Y, and Z. But yeah, uh, he he doesn't show up in the same way that you'll see Iowati or, or Matt Berry. In, well, I'd say that maybe a strike against him is he doesn't have like that sort of singular... Thing. Like, Iwadi is a unique camera presence in a way that is very kind of easy to pigeonhole for your average Joe viewer, I guess. And Matt Berry certainly is the same. But uh, Holness is, is kind of an odd screen presence. I, I think he's fantastic, honestly. But uh, I, I could see how he wouldn't slide quite so easily into that character actor role as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it, wholeness. I agree. I don't think he really seems to be that invested in acting, um, writing specifically seems to be his thing and, and directing. And also I know in recent years, he's done a lot of like BBC radio plays, so mm -hmm. even voice acting, he prefers over regular acting and being on the screen. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of flown under the radar and this is coming from an American perspective too. I, I maybe he's, you know royalty over in europe but even this show well, he should dark be. place <laughs> I, I mean he should be yeah i i you know i pulled my limited european <laughs> friend base is basically like did you, did you watch this when it came out like what what do you know about this show and these are people who in 2004 specifically were like dirt poor drinking cheap booze sitting on the couch watching stupid shit on BBC four and none of them knew about this show, Garth Marenghi's dark place. And yet here we are. And that, so. that, seems, that seems so wild to me. But then I also remember that like, and I don't recall exactly. It would have been when did dark place come out. It was like 2004 or so. Um, like it, it wasn't very long after that, probably within a year or so of that, that it was just a co-worker of mine in my first office job just randomly came in with the DVD. He just lent the DVD to someone else. And so he brought it back and he just like was walking past me and he just like held it up to me and said, have you ever seen this? It's amazing. And that's what introduced me to Dark Place. And I have no recollection of anyone else talking about it. So maybe, maybe it is more unknown than I think it is. Mm-hmm. Thank God there's one guy with a DVD in 2006 that that's <laughs> was it. able that's to what we're, we're pass all it around. relying on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I feel like there was like a period in time where Adult Swim was bringing over some of these, uh, probably all BBC Four things. But uh, yeah, it, it got a brief run there, but it was never, it never really caught on here. I would say for sure. No, but it it does feel a lot like what Cartoon Network slash Adult Swim was doing with their live action stuff around this time. Um, and and like you said, like they brought over Mighty Boosh, and that was kind of a big hit for Adult Swim for a while. And, you know, stuff that they were producing. I don't know. Saul of the Mole Men. You remember that one? Like just oh, yeah. irreverent, cheap kind of throwback-esque TV shows. But Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is a little bit different. And I think part of the reason why it didn't get wider appeal is because even kind of explaining it, there's no quick like 10 second elevator pitch for this show other than holding up a DVD and saying, this is amazing. Watch it. Because it's someone who it, it's like a, a, a sort of parody pastiche of goofy 1970s, 1980s television. But also it's not it's it's weirder and goes way beyond that. And also it's not being presented straight as just a, a parody, a goofy parody of, of 80s TV and sci fi. There's also kind of this meta narrative of the titular Garth Marenghi, who's uh, a schlocky horror writer who is uh, obsessed with himself, completely egotistical. And so he's representing this fake show that supposedly aired in the 80s. And then there's this these kind of like inserts, these pseudo like documentary inserts that kind of pop in every once in a while and uh, expand upon whatever we're watching on screen. So there's there's a lot going on. I don't think there's an easy way to explain this show. Yeah, and one weird thing is, as much as it obviously is playing on, like, especially 80s television tropes, it's also, like, this show owes a fuck of a lot to Lars von Trier's kingdom, which is just kind yes. of a, a bizarre <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah, this is this is totally totally in in the same boat as Lars von Trier's kingdom which is great by the way even if you're not a big von Trier guy uh season one and two of kingdom is fucking awesome you ever want to see Udo Kier as like a, a baby spider monster with just an Udo Kier head I mean that this is your opportunity go watch kingdom it's got that that strange vibe it's also you know I mean dark place to me seems like it is a key piece from that like 2005 like the early 2000s that dvd explosion that occurred kind of brought to light the audio commentary and the behind the scenes featurettes and the talking head interviews like dvd everything was showing up on dvd by like 2005 like you could buy every movie that was ever made practically it felt like for like five quid uh you know it just it was so cheap to throw everything on dvd and they were just trying to do special features for everything which meant suddenly you were hearing people talk about the movies they were in or they planned uh, and axes they had to grind and being given space and bandwidth they'd never been given before to just talk almost directly to audiences. And I think that plays in a lot to Dark Place. I think, and as much as Dark Place then probably found its audience in turn too largely in by DVD as well, um... And the spin-off show Man to Man with Dean Lerner, which was like their talk show spoof based on Iowati's character Dean Lerner. It's the same thing, like there's a huge kind of joking element within this about 
you, you sit down someone like Garth Marenghi, who's this narcissistic kind of moron, and you let him talk freely, and he'll say almost anything, and they play with that a lot, and with these kind of weird, unexpected tangents and observations they make about their own show, supposedly. It just feels like it's, it's very in tune with that specific era of not just television, but also home video reshaping entertainment generally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, if this show, if I, I, I struggle to understand, like, how this would have worked as a stage show as it initially was. And I'm guessing it was it was just the, the goofy 80s throwback stuff. If I had if I had to, you know, guess. But, um, yeah, it, it really can't exist outside of this DVD boom era. That's just like the essence of, of what it's about. So. Um, yeah, totally agree with you on that. Well, it's interesting though, just to about this DVD boom. Uh, Dark Place never had an official release in the U.S. Um, so if you were savvy enough to have a universal player over a decade or so ago, you could import a copy. But this was still just kind of something people really had to discover online, and that's how I came to know of it first. Is just a series of clips that I soon figured out was part of a show and. And but yeah, it's still to this day, it doesn't really have a proper region one release of any kind, which is weird because, it, yeah, because I, I remember when I first came over to the US, the one that a lot of pe the real cult British comedy that everyone wanted and that was not available in the US on DVD was spaced. And that was because of music mm -hmm. rights. No one wanted to pay the music rights for a US release. But everyone had like, I don't know where everyone had seen it, but everyone had seen and loved spaced. And it was like the most popular comedy. And it was, you know, kind of really touched a vein and honestly i think based as i recall i haven't seen in a while is a really great comedy and as mm. i've probably commented before boy i wish edgar wright would get back to comedy he's he's much better at it than <laughs> everything else he's tried yeah that would be nice i i don't want him to no no more straight horror movies please we don't need don't don't no more last nights in soho i i don't i don't need that <laughs> in my life I'm gonna wash the taste of that out of my mouth um <laughs> So kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of, of how the show works, it's just, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it really leans into the fact that it is a cheap production, but also within the world of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, it was a cheap production. I think they make a joke at one point that the entire show was shot in Dean Lerner's garage, and he's, he's got a big garage, he says. So, uh <laughs> But that's why there's, I mean, you see sets reused all the time. Everything looks like it's just, you know, cheap inside of a studio. Um, the outside of Dark Place Hospital is just this poorly made, like, model <laughs> that they, they got to yeah. zoom in on. And uh, my favorite, though, is the car. I guess you can call it a car. <laughs> it's basically like a future golf cart I, I like a retro futurist golf cart that they use as a car and do not explain in any meaningful way and it's awesome too because not only that but when they're driving it around <laughs> driving again in, in heavy finger quotes um it's just in like a black room and it's just sort of like moving back and forth like someone's underneath it just kind of shaking it a little bit and it is an incredible sight to behold my uh, my favorite detail, as far as the production goes, is um, Dean Lerner explaining that uh, we used slow motion every chance we could. 
because every episode was coming up about eight minutes short. And so for every scene not involving dialogue, we considered adding slow motion to meet our runtime. Yeah, I, I love his explanation that was like, we tried to stay away from the dialogue as much as possible, but every other scene was considered for slow motion. <laughs> but it's such, it's such a canny, like I would say like the first five minutes or so of Dark Place is... I think just a masterclass of setting kind of a tone and an idea. And I was just, I was just taking notes on it. And I just have my, my notes are just written down are fabulous, which is how Garth Marenghi describes himself in his opening thing. Cause he's, <laughs> you know, very self-important author. Then my spacious basement, which is where Garth Marenghi kept the, the negatives for this, this program that, you know, is being fished out of again, his comment to his like, his, his illustrious career has afforded him a spacious basement. Uh, the so-called <laughs> powers that be is someone that uh, Garth Marenghi complains about for why the show wasn't more successful. And then the opening credits of the of the show within the show of Dark Place uh, has a credit for uh, the music is based on melodies whistled by Garth <laughs> Marenghi to, to bring it back that everything is about Garth Marenghi. Like he is the most important man on the earth. And then the first episode, then after all of that, opens with a King Lear quote, <laughs> just to and like no connection, I think, but just this amazing kind of version of what an what a not very smart person would think makes a show look smart and important. They just have mm -hmm. it dialed in perfectly, and it's just such a it'll never get old. It is just such a great vision of the kind of a distorted perspective run amok. Um, and very identifiable, I think, for anyone, you know, when you watch a lot of movies, you get, you know, you see these kind of like ego trip projects, which can be very funny and entertaining, but they're also like a very specific kind of a thing. Um, yeah, I, I, it's just, I love this show. It really, it really just floats so well between everything and everyone in it is doing such tremendous work to just kind of like keep it afloat in kind of like they all have this fantastic their roles in it are um kind of like weirdly uh what we say compartmentalized <laughs> that garth Marenghi and richie Ayoade are really kind of like they're they're holding up the center things i feel bad for i think it's alice lowe the actress who does this fantastic job but in a role that is specifically minimal because as, as it occurred to me watching it this time, really the most alien thing in Garth Marenghi's entire vocabulary is women. He can't figure them out <laughs> at all, but he knows the show has to have one. So this one female character gets almost nothing to do in the movie. All they do is crack sexist jokes about her. That's no. it. That's her whole thing is basically like, and, and whenever something weird happens, they suggest it might be because she's on her period. <laughs> and it's just this like, incredibly off-color thing, but it fits perfectly into the tone of this show that is clearly the production, like the product of one not very smart man's worldview being being brought to the fore. Um, just really, no notes. This is just amazing. And if you have never seen it, you absolutely should track it down. And it is kind of it blows my mind that kind of no one has brought it over. This seems like such a perfect cult item for american home video as much as anywhere else uh, especially since british stuff is perennially popular kind of a mm -hmm. weird mix well and it's it's more timeless i mean it, now i guess at the time probably people were like well this is a, a weird oddity and you need very specific cultural knowledge for all this to make sense but honestly it's like if you've ever seen a single episode of a single like 
80s TV show, the aesthetic alone can draw people in. I think it, I think it has a little bit of more wide appeal in that sense. Uh, but really, you know, with, with the way that they, like, the, like you said, with the King Lear quote and just how fucking stupid and egotistical Garth Marenghi, the character is, it, it almost is, it's more timeless now because just thinking about prestige TV and how we have to talk about television and how like a show just can't be fucking stupid anymore. Every single show that comes out has to be like the most important show of all time. And now watching something like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is, it's even more refreshing than it probably was like 20 years ago when it came out. So yes, hunt this down. It's on Amazon right now. I think it's on Pluto TV, uh, which is like totally free. Uh, they just run some commercials. Uh, there is a Region 2 DVD, but uh, still, yeah, nothing in the States, which fucking sucks. So I just, I need to highlight real quick the King Lear quote is especially fantastic because it's not even cited properly. The, <laughs> the full quote is This cold night will turn us all into fools and madmen. And then it's cited as King Lear, page 46. <laughs> <laughs> And again, that's beautiful. It's like they they don't miss a beat. Like everything in this show. And it, one of the funny things I realize is like my memory of Dark Place is always that that it's it's fantastic, but I feel like it loses its shape a little bit towards the end. It's only six episodes, but like towards the end, it's not like it's just it doesn't maintain the same incredibly dense quality of jokes and observations as the first couple of episodes. But then it kind of occurred to me also. I have never watched Dark... Like, I've never watched a single episode of Dark Place. I have always sat down and watched the entire thing in one sitting. Um, yeah. And that's just kind of how it rolls. Like, I just I just have always just ended up binge-watching it because you can't just watch one of them. So in a sense, maybe, maybe my problem is just the show is, like, it's just too good at just kind of carrying you through you, you kind of keep going so yeah by episode six you're very aware of the general cheapness of the jokes but is there still i mean I, look, episode six still has the one track lover song which is <laughs> yep. an oh incredible God. uh insert. yeah that alone that's on youtube if if you want a little taste of garth Marenghi, go go look up that clip on youtube because it's it's really a beautiful thing honestly like yeah <laughs> Also, it has just this. It it pulls off this in, the incredible trick of making something look cheaply and horribly produced, and yet it it is not ever like winky or it, it like it is played as straight as possible. And it it just is such a careful balancing act to like you can see people try to make some kind of like pastiche of something like this today, and it would be horrible and it would crash and burn. But like Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, it is just the perfect. This looks like shit, but we are gonna roll with it, and it's gonna—it's just—it's the best thing ever. I—that's all I can really say. It's just—it's a perfect six episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what really it kind of strikes me about this watching back again is that, and it's—I um, think Richard Ayoade is credited primarily as the director of the show. Um, but, yeah, he is. You no, know, it was like him and Holness were were certainly were the the creators and primary force of it, but um, this really it, there's an incredible grasp of of directing and a visual language in the show because they break it all the time they keep doing stuff wrong and it's all had that all had to be orchestrated you know correctly they had to like envision what it should be and then break it 
and that's you know kind of it's difficult to do and they do it really seamlessly they come up with these really great ways to like just awkward edits um weird discontinuities between shots which had to obviously be conceived for editing purposes you know you still had to you know edit as normal but you had to like make sure that the things misaligned in the way that you wanted to there's one maybe my favorite joke in the whole thing just because it's so just like it's not it draws attention to itself or anything but it's like a, a essentially like a post dubbing or script change joke where uh richard iwata's character says to garth Marenghi's character he ends with understood and he just replies as crystal and it's just <laughs> clearly the dialogue doesn't sync up like this something happened <laughs> And that's just like a throwaway. It's just, you know, part of the flow of conversation. But again, it's just something they had to conceive of and break and kind of figure, mm-hmm. like, how do things break when you make a TV show and you don't have a lot of money or time or expertise? And they really kind of nailed down so many of Some of it's very obvious, like when the opening shot, like it's very clearly someone throwing a cat into the shot too late for her to pet. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, you know, one of those kind of jokes. But so much of it is like really cleverly worked little quirks uh you know mm-hmm. like I say just very quick little misses in continuity and stuff and then they also know when to go big with like ridiculous things like Iowati just pulling a shotgun out at a funeral and just blasting every into episode the ether. every single episode he's got the <laughs> shotgun out and he shoots something <laughs> they're all heavily armed yeah. for doctors every doctor gets a, a firearm it's part of their protocol apparently <laughs> Yeah, I, I love, like you said, the, the way that they had to conceive of the show and then, you know, meticulously plan things out just so they could break them. It's, it's fucking brilliant. And one of my favorite examples of that is uh, there's this scene where they're, they're sitting in, in Dean Lerner's office and uh, they have this moment where if it was an actual 80s TV show, basically these two characters would be st- like standing shoulder to shoulder and it would just be like a, a tight kind of close-up of them but they don't have the resources because garth Marenghi's dark place so what they do instead is they're each standing on either side of this desk so they each kind of half sit on the desk so then they're facing the camera shoulder to shoulder and then they just the camera just kind of moves in on them a little bit more and it's i mean it's just like these little flourishes like that 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 really stand out because god it's it's just it's so fucking dumb but so meticulously planned out and that's that's a beautiful thing i love it so yeah, yeah watch watch garth Marenghi's dark place what are you doing with your life definitely do i i just i want to highlight wholeness himself in this because his performance will always be my favorite thing in, in this fucking show because He's so goddamn great at deadpan. Like he, I don't know if he's a method actor or what, but goddamn, he just never breaks in this entire thing. He he is taking everything fucking deadly seriously. It's just the most ridiculous shit. I I fucking love his performance as Garth Marenghi. Like I don't. I I mean, everyone is great in this show. Obviously. You can watch Matt Berry all day uh, do just about anything. but uh, And Iowati is given, like, a far more broad role in this. But uh, Wholeness is just, like, this fucking leaden anchor for the whole thing. And it's just wonderful. I, I can't say enough good things about his jackass performance as, uh, <laughs> as fucking Garth Marenghi. Because it, it's just... <laughs> 
it's so self-serious at all times. And when you get into stuff like Scotch Mist, it's just, it, it, it plays so absurd. There's, there's that wonderful uh, bit in, I think it's with the final episode where, where Garth Marenghi gives the incredible praise to Matt Berry's character of saying that he acts so well in this episode that he thinks that sometimes the audience might be looking at him rather than at Garth Marenghi himself. <laughs> it's like this, and you, you can tell. Like you're right. Like wholeness modulates it perfectly. That you know, you can tell this is the highest praise Garth Marenghi can envision giving anyone is that they might almost be holding their own with him because he wrote their <laughs> stuff so well, and that's that's his vision of of a great show. Yeah, that's like one of my uh, things that I mean. As we get into his later work. I'm always disappointed when he directs something and he's not starring in it because he's so fucking pitch perfect for everything that he writes. Like he's, I I just love whenever he shows up. Uh, I I wish he was more into acting because goddamn it, he's fucking incredible. I was surprised to learn he's in the new the one of the Mike Flanagan Netflix things. He's in like the Haunting of Bly House. I'm like that's yeah, not where is. I would have expected to find him. He has a pretty minor role, uh, right. but yeah, he he does show up and. Uh, I mean, it's just, it is very odd because it's not, it's not the sort of thing that he's done in the past or is necessarily excelling at. I mean, not that he's bad. He's just kind of there. I think the best thing he's done, and this is based solely on what I know about this show, which is very little aside from the IMDb listing. Uh, he did a sitcom in 2011 with Warwick Davis called like Life's Too Short or something like that. <laughs> Which is just a great name for a show starring Warwick Davis. So, yeah, I, I have no idea if that's any good. I just, I, I want it to be the best thing in the world. So, And the other thing, before we abandon it completely, because we've got to, uh, is the, the segments where he's reading fucking prose out of his novels, Jesus Christ, is always fucking so incredible. The one that stands out was the second episode where he's just like, Jim walked into the post office and his hands fell off. <laughs> And out came maggots, 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 maggots. There's, there's just like snippets. Like one of I think his the best lines in it is um, at one point Garth Marenghi notes that he he may be one of the only people who has written more books than he's read, and it's obviously an extremely funny thing to say, but it also really does kind of capture it kind of person i think we all know the kind of like the person who considers themselves to be a creator and an artist and you know someone who's like very interested in the 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 respect and authority that comes with being an artist or an author but is otherwise seem totally indifferent to you know gaining the the credentials the expertise to actually excel in that field and it's, he just pretty pretty much just condenses that down to a single line it's just incredible um <laughs> just a gift that keeps on giving there's so many killer lines in this thing also my favorite just because i have to put out there io Adi saying that she was like the candle in the wind unreliable it's just <laughs> like jesus <laughs> The I I would say if you can get a hold of that DVD, it it is worth it. But if you can't, a lot of the stuff is on uh, YouTube stuff of that nature because they did like two uh, like almost forty minute long uh, segments that are like behind the scenes stuff of uh, it's called like Dark Place Illuminatum and Horrificum Illuminatum that are just like more interviews. Uh, 
And there's also, they also did in-character commentary for every episode as well. Uh, it's just like really illustrative of how much characterization they put into this fucking world. Like <laughs> all of this stuff, like, you know, you'll, they talk about how Garth Marenghi's first novel sold like a billion copies and his latest novel sold like 72 or something ridiculous <laughs> and there's like a running thing about how dean lerner may have actually killed <laughs> the female lead in the show at some point after filming <laughs> it's just it's incredible like how much world building has actually gone into this thing that is literally just six episodes it runs a little over two hours <laughs> I think that builds in because I mean man to man with Dean Lerner I think leans into that very much because it is just Iowati riffing on the Dean Lerner character but um, it, it is the concept that yeah if you just let people talk about themselves you, you know the kind of surprise of what they will bring up of their own volition and yeah like um, it's only a small bit within the show but yes the, the memoriam Iowati gives to the lead actress about her <laughs> suspecting you know that her body's probably behind the iron curtain but she probably not didn't even get a burial and they just and they keep moving <laughs> like there's no clarification <laughs> beyond that and it's just such a weird element but again part of sidelining the woman within the show which is something like a running gag and I think it's it's funny that Alice Lowe gets kind of like kind of pushed into that, but it's sort of like necessary for the joke. And it's good to know that she's since gone on to do some good stuff herself because it's almost in one way, it's the shame that for the joke to work, she has to really be written out of the show that she's in. She's, she's fundamentally a sideline character. Uh, it's a very kind of, you know, peculiar setup. So fair, fair play to her for, for being a good sport, I guess. Yeah, yeah, she's got a honestly far more prolific career than probably any of the other people involved. I mean, you might not recognize her as much, but uh, she's been in a ton of stuff. She has, and, and Prevenge, which she directed, is is pretty good stuff, too. So there you go. All right. Well, this is kind of odd because, you know, Holness is he's done a lot of different shows in the UK, uh, still kind of under the radar especially over here stateside you probably aren't familiar with a lot of his work uh, but you might be interested to know that for someone who basically did this irreverent comedy show uh, he actually is very interested in in more serious filmmaking pursuits so uh he before he went on to make his his feature film debut he actually did a series of short films that kind of run the gamut between Garth Marenghi-esque and extremely serious. Um, but I, I think this is where his strength lies as a, as a filmmaker and a storyteller, because I mean, I love Garth Marenghi's dark place, which is obviously these short little episodes. I mean, each episode is got, what are they? 20 minutes long, maybe. And these short films are basically perfect. And especially in the comedy ones, it feels like these are characters that could have easily been plucked out of here and, and dropped into the Garth Marenghi universe, which is fantastic. So I, I don't know. What, what did you guys think of his short films? Uh, I, if we started with Gone for George, like I think this is fucking incredible. <laughs> 
like i i love this it's one of i i, I could think of a handful of short films that i prefer to it like i i love this short film i think it's yeah. beautiful and hilarious and this i have no criticism of it frankly i i if i wish i could make a short film that works as well as this does <laughs> i would agree it's yeah gun for george is i think frankly everything a short film could aspire to be it's an incredibly dense text in what 17 minutes it, it kind of la in it, it latches onto so many details but allows you a lot of space to kind of explore it's not you know didactic in any way and it, it kind of latches onto kind of some comedic elements but there's a really deep well of sadness within it as well kind mm. of a pitiable main character who's played by holiness who is a, a, a kind of garth merengue-esque in that he's a kind of self-published author of these revenge tales the reprisalizer <laughs> which is an absurd <laughs> thing but it's it's very clear he's just a very deeply unhappy guy and he's very angry that the world isn't kind of giving him what he wants and is so his books are very clearly an outlook for this um it's also said like it's set in a strange kind of time period void it, it looks very period time setting um in particularly in the way that it's shot it kind of has a muted desaturated color look that looks very much like kind of a 70s production but he does mention about his book being available online so it's clearly set in the present it's sort of like there, there's some strange um kind of tensions within it there um but yeah just a really tremendous um kind of cultivation of a, a, a kind of a, brings in a whole world in 70 minutes and a character who is so kind of odd and funny and relatable and yet also very kind of dangerous in his his kind of as the thing progresses you get the sense this is a kind of actually a, this guy's a little more out of control than we think and he's hanging on like he's hanging on by a few threads while writing these goofy books um a really like a really great piece of work and i think yeah from the short films uh gun for george is absolutely the the the, the highlight um and definitely i think something more people should see and i assume i'm guessing it's on uh, vimeo has it i think it's on youtube as well i don't know how you would see it quote-unquote legally i don't know what distribution or anything this ever had um again would be a perfect extra on a dark place dvd um, if anyone wanted to do that but <laughs> we'll see throwing it out there i don't know shout factory are you listening this seems like it's up your alley come on get it together uh yeah um, I, well, <laughs> I i love the aesthetic of this because like garth Marenghi, like it 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 takes place in, in the present day but it tries to evoke a specific era and it's cool because it is it is a specific like it's trying to look sort of like a uh, a 70s like grindhouse exploitation action film uh but also and this is not something i thought i would be able to attribute to holdus holdus has a really great eye for portraying england as just a dreary gray uh kind of faceless industrial wasteland and this comes out in his short films and and later in his his feature film debut possum but like when i when i think of anything beyond london and this is a very limited worldview so some people are probably shaking their fists but just like i don't know there's parts of of england that are i i think are just like perpetually damp and gray and that's kind of the world that that wholeness gives us and even in a gun for george 
I mean, the main character lives in a fucking trailer that he's parked in front of like a derelict nuclear <laughs> factory or a, a facility. So it's it's very dire and bleak. And it's it's great to see that set up as as this place where this kind of weird fucking comedic shit is going on that also has dark undertones of its own. So yeah, I just I love the way his shit looks, basically. <laughs> Uh, who wouldn't? This is just, a, it's a gorgeous piece of work. I couldn't recommend it enough. Uh, and whoever's got these things on Vimeo has like proper fucking like uncut prints of them with like pre-roll and stuff. It's a, it's so, yeah, there's good quality available out there. You just have to, yeah. It could, could even be a wholeness's own video it, account. It's entirely possible. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'd say of the three shorts we watched, uh, Gun for George also is definitely the highlight and maybe the best thing we watched next to dark place i mean like like you said it just it compacts so much into it and there's moments where you think that you're kind of watching a it's it's very subdued with its humor like he the reprisalizer i think specializes mostly just in ball torture in the novels (laughs) but um but it's just also like a really sad film and of of a guy who's lost his brother and he he kind of just has this creative outlet that's also spiraling out for him and it's it's yeah like kind of just captures that very depressing outer city region of london and uh yeah wholeness has just got a fantastic eye and knack for all of it yeah you get this sense like it evolves on some things that garth Marenghi's dark place is it touches on probably some things that wholeness introduced to the concept uh where you know you're you've got this sort of absurd like dramatic characterization of, of uh, Garth Marenghi's character at, at certain points um, where it's just like, let's say Skipper, the eye child, for example, where we're, we're treated to his fucking tragic backstory of his son. Who's like half grasshopper and, and dies somehow. I, I believe he jumps into a helicopter's blades at some point, but <laughs> Again, it, because wholeness is the way he portrays that character, the whole thing's <laughs> played with this sort of straight laced like flashback sequences. And there's this sort of bizarre <laughs> introduction of sympathy for this character, even though it is uh, again, the imagery accompanying it is is completely absurdist and ridiculous in in Garth Murray's dark place. And it feels like, this really goes in that direction. It leans that way, and uh, man, I I think I prefer it to Garthmaggy's Dark Place. Honestly, like I I absolutely love this short film. But it uh, moving past You're it, just I big guess, on ball torture. Well, sure, it's it's just like a great Bronson <laughs> type thing. It's just wonderful. Um, yeah. I, I guess we could move on to the other early one, which is the Snipest, which I, I guess has certain things in common, but it, and also another fascination with certain time in British television and reality. But uh, yeah, this one is also very interesting. Not one I'm quite so fond of, but uh, yeah, I, I, again, I, I just kind of wish he was he was starring in it, but. Uh, it is. It's like it's very Matthew Holness's uh, stalker short, basically. Um, I've heard it compared yeah, this, a lot this, to this, Threads. 
Threads, yeah, Threads is a, well, Threads is just like, that, that'll completely gut you. I mean, and, and that's, <laughs> I guess, I guess the Threads comparison makes sense because it has a, a slightly similar, similar tone, maybe not quite as dire, which this is still pretty dire, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a movie about shooting dogs and people. So, you know, those are two very upsetting things. <laughs> I also got a real 1984 vibe from it. Um, <laughs> Probably most particularly because uh, John Hurt is the disembodied voice of the government giving him his instructions. Mm-hmm. But um, and but yeah, I think uh, I I, I do kind of wish that Holness had played the snipest himself because the the lead is is kind of kind of bland, I guess. Not really yeah. a memorable screen presence. It's it's yeah, it's kind of uh, the snipest is. Um... Maybe a little thin, certainly, I guess, compared to Gun for George, which is just such a rich kind of a text. There's just an enormous amount of detail packed in. This This falls into a kind of a, you know, dystopian mode that is so well traversed at this point that it's kind of difficult to stand out. Um, it really, I think, is more of an exercise for wholeness of his um, kind of uh, compositional skills as a director, which Gun for George has tremendous compositions throughout he he really does have an eye for like framing um particularly locations establishing shots it's kind of like it's very kind of like you say it looks gray and tawdry and downbeaten but also very geometric very precise precisely kind of constructed there there's a a kind of a beauty that that he can find within there in here it's much more kind of a kind of a what we say um aggressive uh, oppressive obviously it's a lot of shadow a lot of um our protagonist being kind of framed as like a sole object in like a room that someone's like closing in around him. He looks at the world through a sniper scope as he guards one woman uh, for reasons not entirely clear, possibly because she has rabies and she's going to develop the rabies and it's his job to kill her if she goes feral or something. Um, I'm not 100% certain. There's kind of like a twist in the tale on the ending of this one. But what I will say is that um, this film certainly for me struck a little heavier in the wake of we're just past like the 50th anniversary of the bloody sunday massacre in northern ireland which was like a key event in the northern irish troubles where the you know british soldiers murdered a bunch of people and then the british government has spent 50 years obfuscating and ensuring that no one will ever see any kind of justice or whatever for basically opening fire on on innocent people um you know that kind of and that's like a really a, one of those kind of real deep wounds in the northern irish psyche it's it's a really loaded subject and this film about essentially conditioning a british soldier to open fire um and you know the cost you know like the 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 mindset of basically reducing the world to a scope and a voice telling him what to do and reporting in at x intervals and so on and following orders because there's a great threat and a great scare you know this, i mean the whole thing is set against this concept that like rabies has basically gone endemic in britain and everyone you know the, everything in life is basically forged in the wake of of resisting rabies also frankly post-covid it's kind of funny um yeah kind of kind of has a resonance there too um so yeah there's uh, i don't know that there is something in this film that it, it does it does certainly have an impact it, it has you know depending on where you're coming at it from it it does work pretty well i do think though that it, it suffers a little bit because it, or it feels more like maybe for wholeness it was more important for him to assert kind of his his visual elements as a director 
um it, it's not as kind of uh interesting or, or distinctive i suppose as a text as say dark place or a gun for george's so it's kind of certainly worth a look but it doesn't it doesn't stand out in part because this like say this dystopian vision is uh christ i wish they'd stop making them for a while because they're everywhere and at a certain point they've almost i mean honestly at this point i feel like dystopian fiction is is literally being produced to distract us from actual dystopia <laughs> which is oops <laughs> so you know We'll see, see how that goes. Everything's going great. The world is fantastic. Don't worry. Don't look yeah, outside. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely there. I mean, and this one too, like you mentioned with a gun for George, there's just so much going on. And this basically boils down to like, hey, uh, the, the authoritarian regimes are all about dehumanizing you. So you can do more and more fucked up shit. Cool. Okay. Uh, so yeah, not a lot going on, but still like, Formally, it's it's great and uh it's it's you know it's worth a watch if you're gonna if you're gonna be if you're gonna watch everything else you might as well be a completionist at this point yeah um, it must have been <laughs> incredibly unexpected coming from matthew homeless in in 2012 <laughs> that's for sure yeah well and then when we get back to 2016 he does another short called smutch and this feels very much in the mold of of garth Marenghi, almost like an extension of it because again it's about a writer uh, who's a real egotistical piece of shit <laughs> and doesn't seem to be as successful as he thinks he is, uh, and also has been drinking a lot of green tea lately, which means he has to piss all the time. <laughs> and that turns out to be his downfall, wouldn't you know? Because uh, he he pisses on the grave of Smutch, a deceased writer, <laughs> and uh, Smutch then goes on to haunt him. And uh, yeah, he just keeps pissing on things. So it's it's great, you know. Who doesn't like piss and and Matthew Holness? <laughs> I feel like the whole thing's just like the setup to that end shot with all the books of his fucking like melted skull with smudge on the cover. It's it's fantastic. It's a it's a really dumb joke. It's it's just a, a, a yeah, it's a long piss joke, and uh, it's great. <laughs> yeah. It, it is. It's it's basically a 10-minute long piss joke that leads to a five-second kind of goofy punchline, a visual gag at the end, and that's it. But as far as long piss jokes go, it's cream of the crop as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so, Be curious yeah. to see how it compares to the other shorts in that program because maybe Holness was forced to make it out of duress, and so he just made an extended piss joke. <laughs> the guy just micturates on everything, as he puts it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's from some comedy horror thing right mm -hmm. yeah, yeah yeah it is it is like the timing of it and, and the fact that that is kind of the tone is is interesting because it, it does certainly feel like wholeness's interest in in comedy had waned and it was maybe not the direction he wanted to be going in at that point so maybe he did just kind of make it to pay some bills but uh either way it, it's still a lot of fun yeah, it's. I mean, yeah. Holness is the kind of guy who clearly has enough imagination, and is, as Adam, you pointed, like his screen presence, his kind of deadpan sensibility, and how he he constructs his own comedy. If this is him kind of like cruising a little bit, it's still very entertaining for ten minutes. I would take this over plenty of other people trying a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and it's interesting too that he did this because leading up to his 
feature film debut possum a few years later if you read a lot of the, the press around that like interviews that he did a, a lot of it boils down to people being like so you're funny why why isn't this funny <laughs> So it seems like he was he was trying to do more serious work, not that he needed to be taken seriously, uh, you know, and, and turn into the reprisalizer himself. But <laughs> I, I think I think he just needed to sort of differentiate between like, yeah, it turns out that you can you can do multiple things. Imagine that. And also uh, getting into Possum. Like Possum is a is a very serious kind of fucked up movie, but also it's kind of funny sometimes and that's okay. Like, you know, the, the main character kind of runs around like Napoleon dynamite and that's amusing to watch. And <laughs> also, uh, the like horrific child molester, murderous uncle, stepdad guy. He's, he's got a couple of killer lines, you know, like when he's like, Oh, you spider puppet. Are you going to get rid of it? He's like, Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Well, let me see it first. I want to know how the legs work. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah, there's a great gag kind of at the center of it in that it's clearly a man dealing with some kind of hideous trauma in his past and it was manifest into him making a hideous puppet and his interest was in puppeteering. Uh, but it's really funny because it's like he comes back and, and the guy says his uncle... In who live and ever this movie is just absolutely just concentrated squalor in every corner of every frame. Oh my god! Um, and and the Oaks is like, oh, you know, it didn't work out for you, you know, with the kids and the puppeteering, eh? And it's like clearly not if that's the puppet he brought. Like no child would want to be within hundred feet of this fucking thing, you know. But as we say again, there are there's those absurdist elements that ring as comedy, but this is uh not a comedy by any stretch this is a very kind of concentrate psychological horror um and you know we'll kind of move into it more but i, I will say maybe it's one of these films that unfortunately has some reference points that i think are maybe a little overbearing on it it, it makes it difficult to fully watch it in itself because really this is like david cronenberg spider meets the babadook uh, it, it's mm -hmm. very much those two movies. If you've seen them, you will continue to see them when this film is playing. Um, and I don't, I, I don't. Is, it's kind of like wholeness is he's absorbing some Garth Marenghi energy here. Cause it feels like the main takeaway from this film is Matthew wholeness standing up and saying like, I, I know writers that use subtext and they're all cowards. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's kind of the issue with the film for me is that it's, it's a very specific mode of, of horror filmmaking and it's a very popular mode now. And I think, I think the Babadook was maybe kind of the turning point on that where it was like all horror movies are about trauma now. Uh, I, I feel like the Babadook, it wasn't it's certainly by no means the first, but I feel like it was the one that really popularized it in the, you know, in the public mindset mm -hmm. that, you know, the monster isn't really a monster. The monster is the memories we've, you know, tried to bury or whatever, you know, and now every movie coming out is that. And it's like every movie is like an hour of some of, of a lonely person walking around looking a bit disheveled and confused and things happening in the background that maybe are a bit weird and you're not quite sure. And in the last like half hour is explaining what actually happened to this person to bring them to this point and how everything is really just a manifestation of, you know, their own terrible psyche. 
Uh, this was turned its head brilliantly by James Wan with Malignant, where uh, what actually it turned out is actually much stupider than you would ever imagine, and I very much am grateful for him for doing that. That felt like the perfect antidote to the overwhelming wave of these like trauma horror movies. Um, but you know, Holness's film is it's really well done. Uh, this film has maybe some of his like certainly his his best work as a director. The compositions visual sense his kind of his his movement through certain scenes this is it's really excellently done he's you know very competent and careful and has clearly put an enormous amount of consideration into it my only thing that kind of pulls me back from it is that it's one of those films that is probably like you you see all the wheels working all the gears turning it's very literal like you know it really is that that joke about the subtext i mean it's kind of like a man who became a puppeteer because he didn't have control of his life so he became a puppeteer you know and it's kind of like it's just that very obvious kind of like interlinking elements of a script it feels much more kind of rigid than say something like a gun for george uh which has a much more kind of a free-flowing interconnection of how culture feeds back into you know, personal identity, how there's clashes between, you know, kind of, uh, you know, your escapist versus your real world and so on, you know, that kind of like all clash, like his vision of what England is versus where he actually lives versus what he writes in his books, etc, etc. And this uh, possum just feels very kind of cloistered and kind of claustrophobic, which is partially the point, but it also means that it's very difficult to sustain for this isn't a very long film, it's only about 85 minutes long, but it's still, it's difficult to maintain that for 85 minutes because there isn't a huge amount of place it can go. Like for me, it kind of feels like it's treading water in places, but there's still an enormous amount of like really great work within this. So I'm, I'm reluctant to say it's not a bad movie, but it's certainly, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I feel like the, the leap from TV and shorts film to feature um maybe wholeness doesn't quite nail it but at the same time i wish he would make another feature i want to you know i would love to see what where he's going with this because he's clearly very very good at this Mm -hmm. yeah no and and i'm on the exact same page as you with this one too like i i wanted to love it but i didn't love it basically Mm. but there's so much to love and and so much to chew on and just just visually this feels like the full realization of this like fucked up gray damp squalor england alternative universe like this giant malignant tumor that's grown out of like the thatcher era basically and possum captures that perfectly and you got a little bit in the gun for george and snipist as well kind of has that bleakness but here it's almost like we know he's in a city and we know at one point like there's police officers looking for him and stuff but really outside of him and his uncle and uh this this child that's kidnapped that we see a little bit and maybe one or two other scenes with characters in him it's completely isolated right it's it's like he's in this city but he's the only person there and it's I, I don't know. It, it makes it makes some of what he's the character is going through even more uncomfortable. But um, yeah, I, I just I love the look of this movie, and I just I just want to like it more because I like a creepy spider puppet. That's another thing. It's just like a, a a big long piss joke. Everybody loves a piss joke. Everybody loves a creepy spider puppet. Yeah. And yet 
I'm, I'm I'm with you. It's the same thing. Like the design of this puppet is fantastic. The way they utilize it in certain sequences is I fantastic. I want to see how the legs work. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and it is kind of dull. I mean, I don't dislike the movie. Yeah, but if you want to mention Cronenberg's Spider, certainly not one of my favorites of that man's work. Uh, I don't like. Something like the Babadook, which yeah, obviously is a big touchstone for this, is it's that that movie's not afraid to be kind of a fun horror movie at times, and this is this is deadly serious. It's got like the pacing of it's like tackling that sort of subject matter with the pacing of something like Nicholas Rogue or something, but uh, it's just very dry and and very slow and very deliberate, and yeah, it feels like maybe it would have been a more successful short than it is a feature but it does just have a lot of uh a lot of stunning imagery in this thing i I think the image yeah like like the image it's not if it's the pacing it's just the fact that there's nowhere it can go it's kind of like trapped in a single mode and it's it's kind of like the low like the damaged guy wandering around and being scared of his puppet and of basically of his past and yeah, there's the film has no modulation, and I don't know how you would introduce any modulation to it. It's a completely hermetically sealed universe, mm-hmm. and that that is very difficult to do. And I think it's it's you know to feature length, it's very very difficult to do. And I don't think Holness quite figures out a way to to modulate it. I think he does pretty well uh, considering, but it's it's just uh, I I would tend to agree. I think it feels like a f- a short film that kind of he tried to expand but it just doesn't have the the kind of variation a feature needs to just kind of like allow it to breathe a little bit um it's much i mean he doesn't want anyone to be able to breathe within this film but there has to be you know kind of layers you can move between to to break up an 85 minute runtime and it's just sort of like the same scenes over and over again just kind of looking at a different wall and that that is certainly it's kind of a problem even for the most forgiving audience i think there there's an element of that you kind of have to go you know we, we kind of we get this um right. like let's get let's get back into the scary puppet because we all know it's coming back to the puppet eventually so you know let's let's just do it yeah i think that yeah. maybe wholeness thinks that he he pulls off some level of escalation in it but it just does it feels so modulated like it's just like when it's meant to be escalating it it feels very much the same like it's it's kind of like you figure it out pretty early you're like oh this maurice fellow i don't think he's <laughs> some fucking friendly relative standing in his house or something and it's just kind of like okay I, yeah. I i get it therefore there is no reveal that's going to significantly change uh my perception of what's happening and the puppet I guess maybe it's a little more aggressive in the back half, but uh, I don't know. It's always just a fucking horror show, so uh, there's just never any real sense of escalation. It's a movie that that feels very sedentary. Yeah, Yeah. I I liked it, I'd say, overall. I wouldn't call it a great movie. It's more of an interesting one, but Mm -hmm. um, and maybe this just because there's a lot of, like, this puppet especially is just really unsettling, and, like, I can't stop thinking about it ever since I saw it a few days ago. But um, yeah, just just everything being figured out, and then also the last five minutes of the movie also basically literalize everything that, and you just kind of get the quick explanation, and, uh, and then it just immediately wraps up. 
Um, but I certainly would not mind if Holdness directed more feature films because uh, I, you know, he's he's definitely always got something interesting in the bag. Yeah, that was that was my major takeaway too. It's just like yeah. I did love this, but also I wanted to make like ten more movies. That would be great if he could just get on that and do that immediately. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, you know, all I needed to see was what he came off of Marenghi with Gar Gun for George. It's like just give this guy whatever fucking money he wants. Let him make shit because he's he's trying to make it into a, into a feature film. Like apparently that's one of the projects he's had in the works for a while. So I'm sure like a script exists. So someone, yeah, g give wholeness money so he can make a gun for George, the movie. It's what we need. I need the reprisalizer and stunning 35 millimeter on the big screen. I would love to see it. I'd be first in line. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to wrap things up. So, uh, Myros, what are you putting over this week? You know, I, I could just keep on my check new wave train here, but I'm I'm gonna go non-traditional and put over something I haven't seen. Uh but devil story? I uh, one of my other pursuits in school right now <laughs> is the uh, uh screenwriting class. So we get handed these scripts and uh, most of them are Sundance movies. So maybe this actually sucks ass, but I'll tell you the script is fucking insane. Uh, so I'm I, I'm going to recommend that uh, you seek out a little movie called Resurrection, starring Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth. Uh, like I said, maybe it's bad, but it I I can tell you, having read the script, <laughs> reads well. <laughs> it is. It's not even that it reads necessarily as some great piece of work, but uh, it's gonna. <laughs> It's gonna be something. There's some I think things the happening in this. Reviews were good, I, I, as I recall. Uh, I feel like I'm very sensitive to Rebecca Hall stuff recently because she's getting a lot of good reviews, and the last two things I've seen from her, I didn't like at all. Which were what the the Night House and uh, Passing, which she directed. So I don't know. Maybe you know people are like, she's great, she's amazing, she's the next big thing, and I'm like, okay, I guess we'll see. Uh, all I will say is this movie will not bore you uh, if it follows the script <laughs> at all. <laughs> nice. Okay, I'll take that. Myros, optimism vaccine, friend of the show and uh, occasional guest, Alistair Ryder, he gave it four stars, and the arbiter of truth in the world of cinema, Matt Neglia of Next Best Picture also gave it four stars oh, on wow. Letterboxd. So, How many yeah. other movies do you think he watched that day? I, I Probably 72. Well, let me let me give you the holy trinity of shitheads. Uh, Neglia, four <laughs> stars. Earlick, four stars. And Alex Billington, four and a half stars. Jesus, four and a half stars. I may have to change my it's recommendation. Uh, just watch the shop, the shop on Main Street. That's good. Uh, <laughs> Wait a Adam's second. in good company again. <laughs> Vegan alert, only three stars. Well, I, I'm surprised it's that high, frankly, because uh, the, the script is, well, <laughs> it's, it's a little <laughs> gruesome for old Vegan alert. Yeah, I mean, maybe she liked it, but somebody poured a glass of milk, so you know she had to knock it down a notch. It's it's close. It's close. I think it lost the star because uh, the character Margaret gives chicken to her daughter. Oh my god! And then she also <laughs> that's that's bullet point vegan alert bullet point one vegan alert bullet point two. David says he cuts someone's fingers off. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not vegan to talk about cutting off someone's fingers. Well, the script the script would imply that he did significantly more than that to, the, to this individual. So uh, it, it, you know, it, 
it, there is implied there is implied cannibalism we shall say so uh you, you might Adam, think to be fair issue. one of her vegan alerts i believe for one movie was the holocaust so <laughs> you know like uh, people are calling that the ultimate vegan alert really so <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> oh amazing amazing yeah i i would say like 80 percent of the people i follow on letterbox are, are just like people whose opinions i don't respect so <laughs> living that healthy lifestyle well done, this, this is what i do yeah it's what i do i i just i just log in every day and and hate scroll it it's very <laughs> healthy and that's what i'm all about healthy living so uh jake what are you putting over this week you know it's been out for a few weeks but if you want to have a laugh go check out jackass forever it's a great time at the movies. Oh. I had a blast. Uh, I mean, if you don't know what it is, God help your soul. But uh, yeah, please, please, please check it out. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It is. It's fantastic. And, you know, if if you, much like the character in A Gun for George, enjoy ball torture. Ball to- I was going to say, there is a lot of <laughs> testicle trauma in Jackass yeah. Forever that made me wince. So yeah. please check it out. Which my running theory is... Since this movie, I think more so than anything they've ever done, is very like pummel their balls focused. I think it's because they're all like old as shit right now, and they're like, I basically don't need functioning balls anymore. So yeah. just beat the shit out of my scrot. So, <laughs> That's right. And boy, do they ever! Yeah. Uh, Shaq, what do you put over this week? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put over. I mean, I've been watching a lot of movies lately. I have been playing Yakuza Zero. Uh, which I purchased for a low, low price as part of a collection. And honestly, I've just I've just been playing this game nonstop. It's, you know, life has been a little hectic of recent. So it's just great to just sit down into a game where, frankly, you just hit the X button a lot while people talk at you. And then you just do like it's incredibly relatable because it's like everything in the game is like you have to go here to do this because it's a very important thing going on. And you're just instead kind of like, I think I'm just going to walk up the street and play pool for a while and then maybe i'll just check out the supermarket and buy some snacks and then i'm gonna go to the sega arcade and i'm gonna play outrun for three hours and that's really the game it's just a series of banal distractions um all packaged together and you just walk around and you know honestly i love it it's there's there's things that i don't like like the combat can be a little bit annoying and everyone talks too much like sometimes you're just like i wish you guys would shut up so i can get back to uh trying to find phone cards of nudie women for no particular reason whatsoever but uh yeah yakuza <laughs> zero absolutely a like grade a waste of time so i highly recommend it wonderful wonderful well i uh i had to do some some real thinking some real soul searching for what i'm gonna put over this week and at first i was gonna put over devil story just because it is completely batshit uh, i wouldn't even call it good and i wouldn't actually recommend that you watch it so i'm not gonna put that over however if the idea of endless looping sequences of a guy trying to shoot a horse and missing, but like not in a comedic way, <laughs> if that interests you, then boy, have I got the film for you. It's called Devil Story and it's French, but they don't really talk much. So it, there's to, no to language give, barrier. To don't give worry context about it. on that scene, uh, it took, because I've seen Devil Story, I, it took me a while to figure out he was trying to shoot the horse because he and the horse are not in the same shot for most of that. <laughs> interminable sequence no. he's just shooting a gun and he's not like he's not following an object he just shoots left and right and up and down and apparently he's trying to shoot a horse that's running in circles around him 
utterly incoherent. See, it's um, another so yeah. it's another dark place connection, much like Dean <laughs> Lerner that is cut away to a different location with him firing a shotgun. At <laughs> honestly, honestly, Devil's Story might actually be more poorly made than Dark Place. Uh, yes, just in I agree with that. Even the horse stuff, I um, my running theory because there's not a lot of script or story it's mostly like grunting screaming and then <laughs> that generic like vampire organ music the -da 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 that plays like 80 times <laughs> so my my running theory is that he had the mummy makeup and he had the uh ss coat that i don't know like maybe his grandpa was a fucking nazi i don't know uh but he's got that and he's got the weird old guy makeup so these are the elements that he has to make a movie. He has a 16 millimeter camera. Okay, so now we have a film. Do we need a script? No, let's just go with it. And they're basically just shooting in the woods of these people running around screaming, grunting. And then at some point, my theory is they, while filming, stumbled upon an actual horse. They did not get a horse. They just found a horse. <laughs> and they're like, well, let's shoot this. And they got like 20 minutes of horse footage, started cutting together the movie, and they were like, fuck. This isn't feature length because it is very short too. It's it's like I think it's like seventy minutes or something. So, in order to get it to feature length, I believe they just added horse footage until it it hit feature length. It's like Garth Marenghi with the slow motion, but horse. It's, that that so. could be it. The thing here's the thing I don't understand. I don't want to dwell too much on this. Okay, maybe you can explain. There's <laughs> one there's one incredible sequence in Devil Story of like a ship reemerging from a mountain. It's this. It's a genuinely kind of a remarkable sequence. And I don't understand how why it's in this film. I don't know how it mm -hmm. connects with anything else in the film because it's like, did is that where all the money went? I don't understand. The movie is actually kind of like a nightmare because I just I none of it fits together in any coherent way, and I can't stop thinking about it. But I also agree with you; it's not actually fun to watch. So really weird, classic opvac content. I think you should put oh, it yeah. over, Steve. Let's just put over Devil Story. I am. I'm going to do a double put over. I'm putting over Devil Story because when I watch something and I think that the problem is, is I had drank too much. But then upon reflection, I was like, no, this actually just didn't make sense. And then you feel better about yourself. So, yeah, this is uh, a Devil Story 100% in the Opvac film canon. <laughs> watch that, I guess. Uh, the, the movie that I'm going to put over belongs in my favorite genre of film, which is when I think about a movie or I see a poster for a movie or I hear about a movie, and then I say to myself, I bet that's on Tubi, okay? So this movie is 100% I bet that's on Tubi. It's called Plato's Run. It's a DTV action film from like 97. It stars Gary Busey and Stephen Bauer. And it is just a beautiful, beautiful time for DTV action because, you know, this was a time when movies like this were getting released, uh, direct video but they still had like reasonable budgets in a lot of cases and they were still being shot on 35 millimeter if the script for plato's run was made into a film even three years after this totally different story uh also it's amazing because it is very clear to me that the writer and the director was not thinking of gary Busey when he put this film together and made very little if any modifications to the script in order to accommodate who Gary Busey is, who's he's an old fucking lunatic. So <laughs> this was not written for Gary Busey. Gary Busey doesn't fit in this movie, but also he was able to get Gary Busey. So fuck it. Why not? 
And he also got uh, Roy Scheider, who was must have been, I don't know, he must have fallen on some hard times, I guess. <laughs> uh, but he's in here playing a villain. Busey is incredible. And I think one of the most underrated things about Gary Busey is, you know, he is a great actor. And then you've seen him like in the, t the clips from the TV show, I'm with Busey. And you're like, oh, he's this crazy guy. Most of the time, a, a competent director can kind of harness that Busey energy. And the problem is you have to harness it and then just let it take you. But when you choose to not harness the energy and you fight back against it, then you run into problems. And that's exactly what happens in Plato's run because Gary Busey is doing one thing. The script is saying another thing and the director has completely lost control. Um, everything from what Gary Busey is saying to, to what he's doing. There's multiple times where I'm like, what the fuck did Gary Busey just say? And then I rewind, turn on the closed captions and it, and it just says in brackets inaudible. <laughs> so the movie doesn't know what he's saying. There's one part where he gets into a bar fight and then afterwards, like clearly he's just supposed to walk over to Stephen Bauer and like high five. I'm like, cool. We kicked some guys asses, but instead he does this crazy like monkey walk thing. And then Stephen Bauer is looking at him and kind of looking towards the camera. Like what is he doing? But they just use it. It's wonderful. The way he dresses. Why is Gary Busey wearing a bright yellow polo shirt under like a fucking Tommy Bahama button down Hawaiian shirt? And the answer is, he shouldn't be. I don't know why he is. He he just he's doing these things. So if you want to watch Gary Busey be Gary Busey, there is no greater vehicle for that than Plato's Run. So that's what I'm putting over. Uh, that about wraps things up for us. So uh, yeah, if you enjoyed the show, do us a favor. There's a link in the description. You can click on that link. It'll take you to our Patreon page, and you can give us money. How fun does that sound? Don't you like it when people give you money? And that's because podcasting is is expensive. We got to pay for hosting and, you know, making sure we don't sound like total shit all the time. And that costs money to do. But if you donate, uh, you're going to get access to a bunch of amazing Patreon content, uh, written and podcast content that you can only get as a Patreon subscriber. And I will send you a film from my personal collection. Is it a VHS tape? Is it a Laserdisc, a Blu-ray, a box set? A, a beta max tape is it a, a 16 millimeter reel of a of a snuff film that i dug out of a garbage can you don't know you don't know what you're getting dave you know we could we could promise them something that they will for sure be getting right because we're actually recording a piece of patreon content and it's it's not a uh a future date record we're recording it right the hell now so we can safely yeah, say we are that uh, they will be getting a uh, mini episode on the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre Netflix special. That's right. Because I know you've been dying to hear our opinion. And you're going to get it if you pay us. And if you don't, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but yeah, hot new content coming your way. Literally being recorded as soon as I'm done talking now. And uh, yeah, just, just give us money. If you give us enough money, you can even dictate an entire episode. So that's exciting for you. All these wonderful options are available to you, dear listener. Also, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, optimismvaccine at gmail.com is the place to send those. Or you can tweet at us at optimismvaccine and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe we'd love to hear from you. Sure. Why not? I'll say it. And that about wraps things up. So, Jake, last word is yours. So what happened between you and this Renwick customer? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.